Hey, let's welcome all of our people from Midtown, Hamilton Mill, all of our chapel, our overflow rooms. Today, online, we have people from Canada, from Qatar, from Indonesia, from Nigeria, from Russia, from China. Come on, let's welcome all of our people watching all over the world. So I, I was just sitting there thinking as we were closing out this uh, worship set, how important this series that we're about to start right now called The Future Church. We did a series of a couple years ago called The Future Church, and it kind of set things in motion in my mind about what is the church dealing with or going to have to address as we go into this next decade. And so when we started talking earlier in the year about the first series that we're going to do in this year, we started coming up with this concept of future church Again, only readdressing it in a different way. And here's the big goal. The big goal is to address the issues that are coming in the future that are challenging the church in terms of reaching the next generation. Right now, the church in America is going through a major transition in culture. And what's happening, unfortunately, is about 200 churches a week are closing their doors in America that means 10,000 churches this year will close their doors. Now, that doesn't mean that other churches aren't starting up. There are new startup churches, and there's about four to 6,000 every new year starting in America. But in essence, what's happening is we're missing the next generation. So this series is dedicated to all the 35 and under crowd in the room. Amen? <laughs> and you're thinking... What is a 62-year-old man going to tell me in my 30s? That's why you're here right now to, to learn what, what I have to say. I, I, I understand that I'm far removed from the millennial generation, the Gen X, Gen Z generation. But for whatever reason, both Colleen and I, even though we're older, we've tried to stay younger in our minds. And so our whole heart has been, how do you make this shift? And I was reading a book probably about 15 years ago called Good to Great by Jim Collins. It's a business book. If you're in the business world, you've probably heard this book. And basically, it was a study of the culture of business in America and how, how do companies continue to innovate as the future moves forward to make the changes within the culture and the context of those communities so that they continue to be relevant, so that they don't turn out to lose their companies, lose their businesses. How many of you have ever heard of blockbuster video? The idea is we don't want to be the blockbuster video of churches. Does that make sense? Or the Kodak Church of America. Have you, you remember Kodak? Used to be the camera that everybody had. No longer exists. And the idea is that somewhere along the way, churches, businesses, they miss what's happening in their current emerging generations to reach that generation, and they lose their business or they lose their church. And so we've been really formatting these thoughts through, through the last several years as we make these transitions in our church because we're in going into our 30th year at Victory. Colleen and I have been here for 30 years, 30 years. And we're making a transition. Most of you know we're making a transition next August and uh, into a new role in the church. And so we thought, you know, for the next six to eight months, I'm just going to pour out everything I got inside of me. And Colleen's going to pour out everything she's got inside of you. And 
we're going to give you as much as we can to prepare you. It's kind of like parents in the final years with their teenagers before they go off to college so that you have everything you need to, to be, in, you know, be tooled with the, for the future. Amen? So today, we're going to talk about uh, probably one of the most challenging thoughts going forward, and that is the Bible, what the Bible is in America, how the Bible is, is, is being used in America right now. And what we're finding right now with the Bible, in fact, let me just see how many of you actually have a physical, not an electronic, but a physical leather or vinyl-bound Bible. Let me see. Hold up your, let me see. Oh, my gosh. Look at that. Is there anybody at Midtown that's got one? <laughs> Midtown, I love you, but I bet you bet you're all electronic down there. When we take up the tithes and offerings now, there's no longer physical money that comes into the offerings. It's all done electronically. Because most people now have switched over to this device, either this or, or an iPad. And when this came on the scene uh, several years ago, it changed everything about not only the Bible, but about our lifestyle. How many of you agree with that? And what's happening in churches today is we don't know how to compete with this. And this has created a lifestyle that many times draws our affections, our attentions elsewhere from the Bible. In fact, they, they, they did a survey right now of teenagers, and they, they asked teenagers, what is the number one career choice that you want to make with your life? 75% of American teenagers said, I want to be a YouTube star. I want to be famous, and I want to be on YouTube, and I want to make money just doing videos, either game videos or funny videos or something like that. 75% of the Gen Z said that. One out of every three millennials answered the same way. I want to be a video, a YouTube star. Now, young people today spend on average three to four hours a day watching YouTube videos in some fashion. Let me just see by a show of hands. Now, don't, don't feel embarrassed because I've watched YouTube videos. How many of you have watched a YouTube video in the last couple days? Let me just see your hands. Yeah, see? We don't watch TV anymore. We watch YouTube. Some of you might be watching YouTube right now while I'm preaching. <laughs> We're posting on YouTube so you can find us there. Amen? But the reality is, is everything is shifting. And so now, you drive through the city of Atlanta, thousands of churches on every corner. I mean, we're a church city. And you can almost guarantee that if that church is a brick building with a steeple on top of it and a denominational name on the sign, it is a shrinking church. It is a church losing attendance and will soon be irrelevant in the future. Now, that's a sad thing because these are all good churches. They love God. They're people that love God. But most of them are aging congregations that have stopped reaching the next generation. And so we're thinking ahead, what is it going to take to reach the next generation? And one of the most important features of the future has to do with all of you that are younger, how you approach and think about the Bible. Because if you don't get this, if you miss this with the Bible, then what's going to happen is you're going to supplant the Bible with a lot of different philosophies, blogs, articles, and things that you read that will talk you out 
of God. Amen. All right, so there's a scripture. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3. And I'm going to start off by reading a verse of scripture from the Apostle Paul where he writes to Timothy, who is a young man, a, a millennial, and he starts to talk to him about the future. And he says here in chapter 3 uh, of Timothy, 2 Timothy verse 12, he says, Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Now, let's just pause right there. The last thing that any of us want to hear is that if we keep serving Christ, we're going to suffer. We're going to suffer. This, is, this emerging generation, those of you who are younger, this emerging generation does not like the word suffer. And suffer is not a word that we're acquainted with. We don't really like the word suffer. And if we go through suffering, we really have a hard time. And sometimes it talks us right out of God. So he's saying, if you're going to serve Christ, you understand that the future, there is a persecution, there is a suffering. And he says, he says but evil people and imposters will flourish. They will deceive others and themselves will be deceived. But you must remain faithful to the things that you've been taught. He's talking about the Scriptures. You know that they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they've given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture, let's say it together, all Scripture, not some of the Bible, not portions of the Bible, not the parts that we agree with, but the whole Bible, the whole Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. In other words, he's saying that if you're going to navigate life, no matter what age you are, if you're going to navigate life well, you're going to have to make a decision right now concerning the future, how you're going to be with the Bible, what's your life going to be with the actual Scriptures, the Bible itself. And he's saying, in, as we move forward in the future, it's going to become more difficult because there's going to be a lot of people out there saying things to talk you out of the Bible. There'll be a lot of videos, a lot of blogs, a lot of articles, a lot of things to question the validity of of the Bible. The Bible's full of contradictions. The Bible's full of fairy tales. It's got all kinds of stories that couldn't be true. There's no way that God just created people. They had to evolve all these different questions. And the question's going to be, what are you going to believe about the Bible? Now, if you understand this, then you'll understand the next chapter, he goes on a little bit deeper, and he makes this startling statement in chapter 4, verse 3, he says, for a time is coming, talking about the future, when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires, and they will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. They'll chase after myths. Now, it's possible in a crowd this size, in a crowd that's watching in our Midtown campus or our Hamilton Mill campus, it's possible that you could be living a life right now following Jesus to some degree, 
but not chasing after truth, but actually chasing after myths. And not know it because you're deceived. Deceived people do not know they're deceived. Did y'all know that? So he's saying, here's how you know the truth. The truth is found in the word of God. The word is what will guide us. And he said, but what will happen as we go into the future, as emerging generations come along, they're going to start trading off the truth for a lie. Because the truth does not always make them feel good. The truth is not a feel-good message. Can I just give you a little clue about just listening to preachers? Just listening to preachers. Listening to people preach or teach or something like that. If all you ever hear them say are things that make you feel good and they never correct you, there's never any correction, that is not the fullness of the truth of the Word of God. Are you all all right there? We all like to feel good. We all like a feel-good message, amen? I could stand up here and preach you some feel-good messages, and you'd be shouting and hollering and running the aisles and going crazy, and that was amazing, Pastor. I love you. But that's not always the truth. Sometimes we have to face the fact that there's some things that need to change inside of our lifestyles in order to line up with God's will. Amen? All right, so there's three major shifts that are happening right now in the youth culture. The three major shifts. Number one, there's an increased skepticism in young adults and young people. More people now have more questions about the origins and the relevance and the authority of Scripture. Secondly, there's a new moral code that has emerged called self-fulfillment which has become the cultural measure of what is good, setting up a conflict between the general society and the church. And thirdly, there is a new, emerging, growing digital access where we now have tools not only to read the Bible, but to read everything, to look at everything and to listen to thousands of different opinions and studies and voices. That's why the Bible's so clear in the last days that there's a warning about teachers, prophets, false teachers that will come emerge on the scene to deceive even the very elect if it's possible. In other words, when you go out there on the internet, when you start surfing the internet, all kinds of information is out there. Now, some is amazingly good information. I can learn to, to do a lot of things on, on this internet. I can put it here where I want to drive. Used to be you had to ask somebody where to go, and you get somebody in the south. Well, you just go down to the corner and turn left, then you turn right, and then you turn left again. I don't need that anymore. I just put in the address, and it takes me right where I want to go. I can look up your name on the internet, find your address, and come to your house without you even knowing I'm coming. Amen. I can talk to you. I can play games with you if you live in China. I can play chess with you right now. Some of you might be doing that right now. I can look up any information. I can Google Dennis Rouse, and you can find all kinds of things out there. How much money does he make? What kind of house does he live in? All those kinds of things. They're all out there. And, and so you, right now, this thing gives you access 
into to a world that not all of you are ready to enter into. And especially, oh, especially if you're a teenager. You now have access into a world that we didn't have access to back when we were teenagers. We had to look at magazines. Now you can just go over there. Nobody even knows what you're doing. Are you all following me? All right. This increased skepticism that's starting to happen is the steady rise in society that's creating a cultural atmosphere right now in America that's becoming unfriendly towards the gospel, unfriendly and sometimes even hostile towards Christianity, almost to the point where you are dangerous to society. You become the enemy. With each passing year, the percentage of young Americans are growing that are skeptical about leaders, skeptical about the Bible, skeptical about society, and especially if you espouse something as truth from the Bible. This new moral code is also emerging called self-fulfillment, and you need to understand this. This shift is basically moving authority from outside, from the Bible, to inside yourself. You are becoming your own authority. And what's happening is this big culture now of, of, of young adults is finding yourself. I'm trying to find myself. Well, the Bible is very clear. In order to find yourself, you have to be first willing to lose yourself. And the, the reality is so many young adults are trying to find themselves but not willing to lose themselves. And more and more Americans are rejecting external sources, resources, moral authority. Instead, the self has become the spiritual moral compass for the vast majority of adults. I have to just look within. The more person orients themselves towards a way of life described by Scripture, the more likely it will become that they will come in conflict with the dominant culture of self. All right, so let me give you a few statements in America. These are some statements that they did a survey on. How many agree with this statement? How many agree with this statement? All right, here's the first one. To be fulfilled in life, you should pursue the things you most desire. All right, so what do you think about that? What do you think about that, Midtown? What do you think about that, Hamilton Mill, or those of you watching us online? You should pursue the things you most desire. 91% of American adults surveyed said, yes, that's, I agree with that statement. 76% of practicing Christians agree with that statement. All right, so let me just give you a conflict with that. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to be willing to die to self. And you're not, it's not about your will. It's not about your desires. It's about my will and my desire. That's why Paul said, it's no longer I that live, but it's Christ Jesus who lives in me. And now my life is about to fulfilling his desire not my desire. You see how that conflicts with that statement? All right, here's the second statement. People can believe anything they want as long as those beliefs don't affect society. Believe anything you want. 79% of adults agree with that statement. 61% of practicing Christians agree. Just believe anything you want. It doesn't matter what you believe. And as long as it doesn't affect the society I live in, just believe it. All right, the highest goal in life is to enjoy it as much as possible. The highest goal, now think about that. If you're young, think about it. Is that not the mantra? My whole goal is to be happy, 
to be fulfilled in life, to enjoy my life. Now, there's an interesting phenomenon happening amongst young adults. There's this new, new energy to travel and to experience life, to have experiences in life. I love, how many of you like traveling? How many of you like traveling? I like traveling. I love traveling. I enjoy it. But when I was young, I, I had realized that in order to travel, it costs money. And I wasn't willing to charge up a credit card or work for, for days and weeks to save up money to take one trip for one week so I could have some experience. Meanwhile, not be responsible to pay my bills at home. Amen. But now I talk to young people today. How you been? Oh, great. I just returned from Turkey. Turkey? Yeah, I just felt like going to Turkey. Put it on my credit card and I flew over there by myself. Had a great time. It was an experience. And it was so enjoyable. And, and what's happening now is this, this whole drive to just, it's all about happiness. It's all about desire. It's all about enjoying life. 84% of all adults say that is a goal for life. And 67% of practicing Christians said, yes, yes, that's what I need to do. All right, this is another one. The best way to find yourself is by looking within yourself. Have you taken a look inside there lately? <laughs> I'm serious. No, no, I'm serious. Have you? Do you really? Uh, do you really trust you? What, what I found in the Bible, the Bible says, in you, there is no good thing. <laughs> All of the evil stuff that you do comes from within you. All right? Nobody makes you sin. It's a part of who you are until you come to Christ. And so when you look within, what's basically happening is you have decided to become your own God. You're the guide. You're the God. So what does that look like when you pray? Oh, me. I pray to me. Would you hear me, me? I'm looking within for the answer from myself, because I know, I know in the stars and the heavens and the universe that somehow all these things are aligning within me to give me the answer for me. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Look at this. 91% of adults in America believe that statement's true. And 76% of practicing Christians say yes to that. Practicing Christians. All right, here's the last one. Any kind of sexual expression between two consenting adults is acceptable. All right, so how do you feel about that? Midtown, how do you feel about that? Midtown, how do you feel about that? I already know how Hamilton Mill feels about that, but Midtown, how about here in Norcross? They say it's a done deal in the millennial generation. It's a done deal that, that basically, it's a done deal that, that it's already shifted in the mindsets of all young adults that, that that's true. 69% of adults believe that's a true statement or a good statement, and 40% of practicing Christians believe that's a good statement. Right now, churches are splitting over that statement right there. Yesterday, they announced the United Methodist Church split right in half over that, that, that statement right there. Presbyterian church split in half several years ago. Lutheran church, even Baptist church. Many churches are being asked. That is, 
in many times with the young adult generation, that is a defining question of how you see your relationship with God and the Bible. What does the Bible say about that? Are you following this? All right, then you take digital access, which is basically exploding now. Every, every young person is, in some ways, addicted to digital access. In fact, can I just say we're on a seven-day fast, but we're actually doing as long a fast as you want, and we're not limiting it to seven days. Good. Could I challenge those of you that are teenagers in the room, teenagers in the campuses, and those of you that are young adults, could I challenge you that, that this right here, social media, YouTube, that you could fast that for seven days? You could fast that? For you, that might be more difficult than food. You could go through withdrawals. Like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do with my life? Everything is about this. <laughs> All right. So this is, the, this is the challenge. The challenge is what are we going to do going forward when we can access all these ideas through the computer that, that challenge the Bible, that talk us out of the Bible, that re-theorize the Bible, try to make it say some things it doesn't say, or try to question whether there's any real tangible authority. A lot of young adults will question and say, aren't there contradictions in the Bible? Let me explain something about contradictions in the Bible. I'll just give you a simple rule of thumb thought about contradictions. Yes, there are contradictions. When I say contradictions, where one person writes one thing, another person writes another thing, telling a story, and they don't come, they're not the same story. It's how they remember the story. But the reality is there are no contradictions in theology in the Bible. In other words, a story, do we really care whether the cow was on the left side of the room or the, the dog was in the right side of the room and somebody saw it that way or somebody saw it the other way? That's historical remembrance of, a, of a something that happened. But when it comes to theology, where God is laying down some principles in the Bible, there is absolutely no contradictions. And the challenge for young adults is crossing over from the old covenant where God is talking specifically to the Jew in his emerging growth into holiness and trying to apply that instead of going into the new covenant and taking the message of Jesus and the apostles and living by that. Those two are two separate groups that God is ministering to in two separate covenants. Are you following me? So when you're trying to base your covenant with God on the old covenant, you're missing God, and it will confuse you, and you'll start to get disgruntled about God. You live under a new covenant established upon better promises. I, I, I promise you it will benefit you greatly if you primarily stay in the New Testament and study it and read it, and it will not, it will not hurt you at all. It will cause you to live right before God. Amen? All right. All right I'm going to give you a Bible literacy test. I'm going to make four statements. You tell me which one is in the Bible. To thine own self be true. That's one statement. God helps those who help themselves. The truth will set you free. God works in mysterious ways. They put this out in America. 17% said to thine own self be true. 13% said God helps those who help themselves. 
24% said the truth will set you free, and 36% of this nation said this Bible scripture is God works in mysterious ways. All right, I'm not going to do a survey because I don't want to embarrass you, but how many of you understand the answer is the truth will set you free? Now, if you didn't know that, it's because of Bible illiteracy, just not knowing what the Bible says. We all said, I love the Bible, but do you know what it actually says? Have you studied the Bible? Do you meditate on it? Does it have access to your heart, or is it just some book or some, calc- uh, some iPhone or something sitting on a corner that you never use for the glory of God? Amen? All right, so how is this going to happen? How is this going to affect the future, the future church and the Bible, the Bible in the church? All right, number one, the Bible is going to be the key to set young people apart. For those of you that are young, listen up carefully. <clears throat> What you believe about the Bible and how you live it out has everything to do with whether or not you're going to come out of the world and be separated and live for God or you're going to blend into the world. If you spend a majority of the time reading and studying things that have nothing to do with God or the Bible and you don't ever put the Bible in, you don't ever read the Bible, the world will shape your philosophy and it will turn you away from the Bible. And what will happen is the prophecy of what Paul said is going to happen to young America as we go forward into the future. Here's what he says in 2 Timothy. And this is a little scary. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he said, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. Any of you have any teenagers that are disobedient? They will consider nothing sacred. These are young people. They will be unloving, unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends. Any of you have friends that have ever betrayed you? They will be reckless. They will be puffed up with pride, love, pleasure, Rather than God, they will act religious, but they will reject the power that can make them godly. Stay away from people like that. All right. So I, I started thinking about when Lauren was little, how we started thinking about the Bible. and We realized, okay, we got one kid. We just have one kid. We got to make sure that this kid loves the Bible. Rose up with the Bible. So when she was a baby, we used to take this Bible, and we just as a little baby, we rub it up against her cheek. We say, "Love the Bible." <laughs> love. You ought to go home with your if you have babies. Love the Bible. Some of you adults ought to do that. Just love. In fact, you have a Bible. Just put it up against your cheek right now. Just put your put your iPhone up. Love, love the Bible. And from the time she was little, we'd read her Bible stories at night right before she'd go to bed. We'd make sure the last thing she hears is the Bible before she goes to sleep. And then as she was a teenager, we bought her devotionals, young youth devotionals, that she'd read every morning as she's getting ready for school, as she's eating her breakfast, you read the devotional. And then we'd teach her the value of the Scriptures that when you do this. All right, 
So they've done a survey. Rob Hoskins did this survey, and here's what he found with teenagers that have high Bible engagement. They have better relationships with their parents and purpose for living. They engage in significantly less sexual activity, substance abuse, crime, lying, and physical aggression. I can tell you that if you have kids that are doing that, they're not loving the Bible. They're nine times more likely to believe the Bible provides a clear and indisputable description of moral truth. They're ten times more likely to find their faith is important to them, and they're nearly four times more likely to believe the prayer can change what happens in their life. Now, let me just give you a clue. Those of you that are older, that have kids or young people, there is no, there's not much of a chance of your young people loving the Bible if you don't love the Bible. If you don't love the Bible. If they grow up in a home where they don't see mom and dad reading the Bible, they're not going to read the Bible. And so, at some point, you've got to recognize that what separates young people apart from everyone else is whether they have a relationship, a real engagement with the Bible. Secondly, the Bible is going to be the guide for cultural discernment. And we need cultural discernment like never before. In fact, I've said this many times that cultural discernment is the modern-day currency of life. It's more valuable than money. Even though money is something we need, More than money, we need discernment. We need to know how to choose the good and refuse the evil. So when I got saved, I didn't, I'm, I'm like most young people. I got saved when I was 22. I did not know what I did not know. I I had a deception of life. I did not grow up with the Bible. I did not grow up studying the Bible, reading the Bible. So I'm 22 now, fully developed as a young adult, totally ignorant of what the Bible says, And so, therefore, I'm full of what the world says. So now I have to go through a transformation. That's why Paul says in Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, proving what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. All right, so I realize that the biggest enemy that I face is right here between my ears, the way I think. How many of you know that's your biggest enemy? The way you think, as a man thinketh, so is he. You're a byproduct of how you think. And if you want to think with cultural discernment, if you want to have the wisdom of God, you've got to put the Bible into your mind. You've got to feed your mind with the Word of God. You see, we feed our bodies three square meals a day normally, and we feed our spirits maybe a snack a week. Did you hear what I just said? When you're reading the Bible, you are feeding your spirit. You are getting it stronger. You're getting your mind renewed. You're transforming the way you think. And what happens is it changes the way you function. It began to help me discern what to do with my life. When I talk to young people, what do you do with your life? I don't know. have no clue. When people say they don't know, here's what I know. They don't read the Bible. They don't read the Bible. They're looking for all kinds of other ways, counselors at school, parents to tell them what to do, friends to kind of give them guidance, circumstances to push them in a certain direction. The Bible, when you read it, it will reveal the will of God for your future. The secret of your future is found in the pages of the Bible. I found that. It's not my life. It's now God's life. What do you want me to do? How do I hear your voice? It starts to guide you through life. It makes you make major choices. Your number one choice 
outside of Jesus as you go forward into the future is not your career. It's not what you do with money. It's not even what you do with your time. Your number one decision is who you marry. Who you marry will make you or break you. It's the closest thing to heaven and hell you will ever experience on this earth. And all the divorced people said amen to that. And can I just tell you, when there ever is a divorce, when there's a divorce, one of those two, at least one, maybe both of them, did not read the Bible. They didn't study the Bible. They didn't believe in the Bible. They didn't put their faith in the Bible. They didn't really study what it, how to be married, how to live as a married life. They just went by their self, what they feel, what their emotions tell them, what they want to do, what their desires to do. And that is not a good person to marry. One of the first things I'm doing if I'm a young adult, what do you believe about the Bible? Oh, well, that's, I guess it's a good book. See ya. Well, I don't agree with the Bible. I don't believe everything in the Bible is true. See ya. I'll talk to you. I'll, 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 be, you know, I'll be a friend to you, but I'm not going to hook myself up to you in a relationship. I'm not going to be a relationship with somebody who does not believe in the Scriptures, who doesn't believe in what God's Word says, because His Word says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And we think we can just bypass that because our emotions, I'm so in love, I so feel this thing. When you start living your life by feelings, you'll stop living your life by the Word, and you'll make bad choices. Amen? All right. So, that's the second thing. The third thing about the Word, is it gives you cultural discernment, is it's going to be a truth that you can build your life on. And this is what we're searching for. This is what we're looking for. If you're a young adult... You're trying to find your place in the earth. What am I supposed to do with my life? Who am I supposed to marry? How am I supposed to make good decisions? Where do I look for guidance? Do I look to people? Do I look to the church? Do I... Let me tell you, primarily where you look to is the Bible. Because the Bible is the foundational truth that you can build your life on that you know will work. Jesus said, when you build your house, build it on the rock. So that when the winds come and the waves come and the circumstances of life come against you and beat against your house, it does not fall. But if you build your house on the sand of YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, some other thing that's out there, some philosophy, if you build your house on that, then when circumstances come, you will not be able to stand. You'll fall. The rock is the Word of God. So the question really becomes, what is truth? So two emerging religions are on the scene now. The, the first one is pluralism. Pluralism is simply a belief that there are many paths to God. I, I, I was watching Oprah Winfrey one day, and she was arguing with this Christian. Oh, there has to be many paths. It's not just one way. There's many ways to God. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what Jesus himself said. Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to God except through me. Now, either he is telling the truth or he's a liar. Would anybody here want to call Jesus a liar? Now, if he's telling the truth, then why would you believe Oprah Winfrey over Jesus? 
Why would you believe any philosopher or any entertainer or any politician or anybody that says, oh, no, all religions are valid? You better take a deeper look into these religions. You might want to take a look and see how that's working out for people. All right? The second one is plural, is a syncretism. And syncretism is simply a union of different religious thoughts and philosophies combined to form a belief system, blending two or more religious belief systems. Like I have a little Christianity, a little Hinduism, a little Buddhism, and a little meism, and we just form a religion of myself. I have my own. You ever heard somebody say this? Young adults, have you ever heard this? I'm not religious. I'm spiritual. You ever heard that? What does that mean? They really can't define it. It's basically I have made up my own personal religion. I've taken all these different thoughts that are out there, and I've formed a way of belief. All right, let me just tell you something. That's messed up. And if you don't believe it, just look at the people that believe that way. Just follow them. Just follow them around for a day. Just listen to them talk. Just watch the interaction with life. What I'm trying to get you to see is there is a way to God that you can build your life on that is a sure foundation of truth. So Jesus comes along, and here's what he says about the Word of God. In John 8, 31, he says to the Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word or live in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. All right, so just let me, let me just challenge you right here. Challenge all of you in our campuses. Listen, if you have a sin in your life that you haven't been able to break free from, you're, you're addicted to something, it could be anything, sex, pornography, food, anything. Let me tell you why you're addicted. You're addicted because you believed a lie. You believed a lie that whatever you're addicted to is good for you or better for you than the truth. The only way you get set free is through believing the truth. And there's a difference between your truth, which is relative, and the truth, which is holy. So let me give you an example. Your truth, you might say, well, uh, I feel like divorcing my spouse because I just don't feel love for them anymore. That's your truth. The truth says that God hates divorce, that it brings violence into the kingdom, and what God has joined together, let not man separate. Your truth might be, I have a sickness in my body. I'm dying of this sickness. That's your truth. The truth says, Jesus bore your sicknesses, took your diseases, and by his stripes, you are healed. So you have to decide, are you going to believe your truth or the truth? The truth sets you free. Your truth deceives you. Are you following me? So the big question is, will I believe this? So the, Jesus says this in John 17. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world. This is talking about followers of Christ. Just as I am not of the world, sanctify them by your truth, your word, your word is truth. How many of you believe that this morning? You believe the word of God is truth? 
Oh, come on. You can do better than that. I, come on. Let's give God praise. All right. So let me close with this. Let me close with this. Let me, let me get you to think through this soberly and the right way. Think about the importance and the value of this. All right. So Jesus comes on the scene. And the Bible says he was the word made flesh and dwelt among us. He showed us what the word is all about. He demonstrated it through a physical, tangible life. And then when he leaves the earth, he leaves us with the tangible written scriptures to live by. And he tells us to feed on it, to study, to show ourselves approved, to rightly divide the word of God so that we can live basing our life on the solidness and the truth and the foundation of his word. Now, if God spent all this time through thousands of years and hundreds of people and countless prophets and teachers and pastors to put this word in writing, why would we not read it on a regular basis? Why would we spend all of our time entertaining ourselves and never any time feeding on the truth that sets us free. So what would it look like in 2020 if we go into this new year and we just make a decision, I'm going to read the Bible this year. I'm going to read it on a daily basis, which means I'm going to seek God's kingdom first so that everything that I need will be added to me. Amen? How many of you would take that challenge this year to read the Bible through? All right. So we put, a, we put together a, a plan. It's, it's not our plan. It's the Bible Project plan. But you can link it with victorybibleplan.com if you want to type that into your phone or write it down and go back home and do that. That will link you into a plan that we're reading together this year called the Bible Project. The Bible Project has illustrations. It has videos. It has a lot of different things besides just reading that will help you really understand the Scriptures. And so instead of just listening to people argue against the Scriptures, why don't you just read it for yourself? And here's what I know. If you read the Bible through in a year, if you really stay with it, and you diligently stay with it, just like we always make these New Year's resolutions, I'm going to exercise, I'm going to eat right. Two days later, we're off that. But what if you just said, this year, I'm going to stay disciplined in the Bible. I'm going to read it through. Can I tell you something, Midtown? Hamilton Mill, Norcross, if our church really goes through the Bible by the end of this year, you will not be the same person that you are right now. Your mind will be transformed. Your life will be transformed. God will start doing some things, speaking to you. You say, I just can't hear God. You can't hear God because you're not reading the Bible. When you read the Bible, that is God speaking every single page you read. And then you'll learn what his voice sounds like because it always agrees with what you're reading in the Bible. Amen? So, if you want to read the Bible with us, take your, take your Bible. Take your Bible in your hands. Some of you have electronic devices, so take those in your hands. Let's hold them up to the Lord. Physical Bibles, electronic devices. It's like we're in a concert. Midtown. We're holding these things up. Let's consecrate this before the Lord. And let's just offer this up as a sacrifice. Jesus, this year, 2020, we're committing ourselves as a church to read through the Bible, to really study the Scriptures. Before we even get into the intricate details of what the future church looks like, we have to make a decision 
do I really believe this? Do I really believe this has the authority of God on it to change the direction of my life? And so, Father, I ask you to speak to us this year as we study the Scriptures, as we hook ourselves up on a daily basis with your Word. Would you begin to speak to us about everything you want our life to become? Speak to us about every area of our life, our relationships, our careers, how we think or handle money, all the things that we go back and forth in our minds on, Lord. Deliver us from all the lies and the deception that we believed in the past. Renew our minds with the truths of your word this year so that when this year is over, we will never be the same again. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Come on, let's give God all the praise. Amen. That's exciting to know that we can all be in the same page together or we can swipe in the same screen together throughout the year of reading the Bible. Hey, I want to encourage everyone to rise to your feet. I'm going to give some next steps. Hey, earlier this morning, uh, many of you gave your life to Jesus, and we feel like the next best thing for you is to receive some encouragement. And so all you have to do is simply text the word FOLLOW to the number 203040, or you can go to the website newfaithatl.com to get those encouragements. Uh, at this time, I'm also going to invite the prayer team to come to the front. The prayer team will be here to pray for any prayer requests. Uh, if you want to continue your conversations, we also have our care ministry leaders out in the lobby as well. Uh, Pastor Dennis also mentioned a lot about 2020 and the future church. And so if you want to know what's happening in our church in the year of 2020, make sure that you go to victorynext.com to get all your questions answered. And don't forget, uh, if, you f if you're feeling led to lead a small group, uh, we have small group leaders out in the main lobby to answer your questions. And also we have a service tonight at 6 p.m. here as a reminder as well. All right, let me pray a blessing over you guys and you guys will be dismissed. And God, we thank you for who you are, and we're excited for this new year of 2020. I'm going to pray that we would all be focused and disciplined in reading your word, God. Help us to love your word. Help us to be found in